from my chair. <laughs> Sorry. Um, if you want to go ahead and open up to Psalm 63. Psalm 63 is where we'll be this morning. Um, and I'm delighted to be here. Um, by the way, I've really enjoyed getting to know you guys. Um, my wife and I have been here a few months now. And um, honestly, even just to look out now and recognize faces and, and people that, that love us and that we love is just neat already. Um, so that's special. That's not to our credit, but to yours. So thanks for opening up your arms wide and just loving us and um, getting to know us. It means a lot. So, um, so as I mentioned, we're in Psalm 63. I'm going to go ahead and read it all the way through, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Psalm 63. O oh God... You are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God, and all who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Will you pray with me once more as we begin? God, thank you so much for this time to look at your word, and God, to see you. I pray that you would open up our eyes this morning so that we may see wonderful things out of your law. I pray that my heart foremost and these also would be softened to what you have to say. God, I ask that you would strengthen us with a greater picture of your love and your mercy. I pray that as we listen and as we hear your word, that it would resonate with our hearts and um, spur us on to obedience and spur us on to worship and a greater intimacy with you. God, thank you that you are in this place and we thank you for your spirit who Um, enlivens us in your spirit who illuminates this word to us. We rely on him and him alone. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, So where do we find David? Um, In this psalm, um, you may have a little little text at the top, and it says that he's in the the wilderness of Judah. Um, So David, in this portion and season of his life, um, is in the wilderness. Um, He's in the the desert. And uh, he's actually fleeing his son Absalom. Um, So David's king in Jerusalem, but um, has since um, experienced a coup um, by his son Absalom, who wants to get the throne. Um, Absalom was really pretty. Um, So the Bible says, handsome more than anyone, and Absalom was also a deceiver. Um, And so he he tricked um, the whole, says the heart of Israel, um, to love him and adore him. And uh, he actually uh, was trying to um, get rid of his, his, his own father. Um, and so, so David says, um, we got to go. Um, and he takes um, some loyal friends with him, um, some family with him, um, and he, he gets out, um, right? So he leaves Jerusalem. He leaves his throne, 
and he heads out into the wilderness. And that's where we find him. Um, he suffered betrayal. Um, um, you can imagine trying to be hunted and killed by your own flesh and blood. Um, he's also feeling a, a, another sense of betrayal from a friend. It says that one of his close counselors, um, Ahithophel, had actually left David. You know, whenever you're kind of, he's, running out of, he's running out of Jerusalem, he's like, come on, Ahithophel. The, the wilderness is this way. And Ahithophel says, stay back here with Absalom, right? And so even David, his closest friends and counselors, this advisor that was so close to him, um, has even betrayed him um, and stayed and, and turned with Absalom. And so David finds himself in the wilderness. Um, he's lost um, from his throne. He's discouraged. Um, he's lonely. Um, but he also experiences hunger and, and thirst. Um, and that's where he is. He says, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you and my flesh faints for you. Um, have you ever been at that place in your life? Um, have you ever been in a place where if I don't have God, I'm going to die. I am so thirsty for the presence and the goodness of God. I crave it so much. It's like food to me. It's food and drink. And if I don't have it, I'm, I'm, I am so dehydrated. I might, I might just die. And, and as I, I read this psalm and as we dive into it, I, I often have read this before and thought it was almost a sign of David's strength or maybe even spiritual zeal. Um, spiritual maturity, um, right? He's big and strong, and I always just think of David, and he's just this impossible warrior with a heart for God. Um, I don't think that this is necessarily a, a brag on his own spiritual prowess, right? David isn't saying, I'm so godly, I just, I'm so thirsty, right? I'm so hungry. Um, I think what David's doing for us is actually he's drawing back the curtains on every single one of our hearts, right? Because I even asked, have you been at a place where if you didn't have God, you would die. And, and I would say this morning that each and every one of us are in that place right now. We are desperate for God. And if God does not feed us, if God does not fill us, if we do not find our rest in Him, you'll just, you can just keep on searching. You may very well, and I say this soberly, you may very well die of your hunger and your thirst for God. Right? He's the only one that can satisfy. And David's pulling this back and he says, I hunger, I'm thirsty, just like this desert that my physical body is in. My spirit is in such angst and such turmoil. I have to have God. Right? And sometimes it's, it's really difficult because we don't realize just how hungry we are. Right? Maybe that was you right before Thanksgiving dinner. Um, Right? You don't realize just how hungry you are. And with, with physical food and with drink, right, we know. Our body tells us, right, I am hungry. Right? Have you ever worked past two? Barely for me, right? right? I'm like, look up and I'm like, oh, it's 12 o'clock. How did I know that? Because my stomach told me, right? It's like, you are hungry. <laughs> or maybe you tried to go an um, extended amount of time or maybe you didn't mean to, but you're just, you're thirsty, right? You don't have to, to, to really think twice about it. Your, your body just tells you that you're thirsty. Um, but it's a little bit more difficult, perhaps, or sometimes we're just not as in tune to it whenever our spirit says, you're thirsty, you're hungry. So I want to say to you guys this morning, as I found in this psalm, my own soul, right, you are hungry for God whether you know it or not. And there's a lot of things that, that try to fill it up. And there's a lot of things that we place in our lives and we surround ourselves with so that we don't have to 
to feel as hungry as we, as we were. But they can't ultimately satisfy. And that's often, and I know it's dangerous to talk about fasting the Sunday after Thanksgiving, right? But that's even why, for a time, we may fast from food. Maybe we fast from technology. Maybe we fast from a, um, a certain type of relationship, right? So that we can pray, even the Apostle Paul would say. Like, sometimes we need to put things on hold because we don't realize how they're stuffing our bellies and how they're stuffing our souls so much that we are just fat and plump and happy without God, right? Like my eight-month-old baby, right? He just sits there. We just keep feeding him, and he's just happy. And he just smiles, right? He's just sitting there chunky. He doesn't know he can't walk. He doesn't know there's something wrong with the world. Like he's just like, yeah, this is great, right? And that's often how we are. We, we surround ourselves with our, our toys, and we surround ourselves with, with good food and good friends even, a lot of great things. And sometimes those things can cause us to forget that we actually are starving for God. Um, and so David here, instead of saying, yeah, I'm so godly that I'm hungry, right? He's saying, he's like, the reality is I must have Jesus. And that's just one of my simple goals and prayers this morning for your heart and even for mine, is that everyone in here would say, I must have Jesus or I'll die. I need him now. I don't need him in the future, Right? I can't rely on, on the Jesus that I've been satis- satisfied with yesterday. I need him today. Because whether you know it or not, you're hungry. You're thirsty. And so David says, earnestly I seek you. Or some translations need to say, early I seek you. Right? He says, because I'm hungry, because I'm thirsty, God is number one. Right? God is at the utmost importance in my life. Even Jesus would say this when he was in the wilderness. Right? What did he say? He said, man does not live by bread alone, right? I can't last off of sandwiches, right? I need to have the word that comes out of God's mouth, right? And David says the same thing. He says, earnestly, first thing, right? Before anything else, before other distractions, before the world overwhelms me, before the other stuff comes to fill my belly, I must have God. And he says in verse 2, what does he do with this hunger? We talked a little bit about... um, the hunger pains and um, the feeling of, of being hungry, um, we often don't know really that we, that we need God until something kind of sets us off. And I don't know what it is for you. It might be something different than me. I'm sure it is, right? But for me, I, I get to a level of like frustration, right? I, there's like this underlying frustration in my life where just things aren't working out or I had expectations and they fell through again. And I have this beautiful picture of whatever, I don't know, how my day was going to go, and then it just kind of sinks. And I'm just underlyingly frustrated. Right? So maybe that's one of the things, one of your hunger pains. Right? It may just be you are like, I am lonely today. Right? I don't want you to take that sign of loneliness as, as God has forsaken you. Um, take that as an invitation for God saying, come and be filled. Right? Maybe your heart is anxious. And I can probably just take the word maybe off of that, right? <laughs> Your heart is anxious. Um, it's an invitation to come. Um, Pastor Robert mentioned this even when he talked about some of the folks who can't join us. And, and we hate that. And we hate whenever people go through tough seasons, right? Whenever someone like David, when you're in the wilderness and you're in the desert. But don't forget, those are invitations to come. Whenever your day doesn't go exactly how you planned, rejoice, right? Because God is drawing you deeper. He's drawing you fuller. And so he did with David. And um, in verse 2, 
we see what David does. He says, So, because I'm hungry, because I'm thirsty, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. David doesn't wait for the hunger pains to subside. David doesn't wait for something else to fill him up. He also doesn't wait to go back to Jerusalem. Right? He's in the wilderness. Um, there was even um, one of the priests who offered to bring the, the Ark of the Covenant with them. Right? They're all running out of Jerusalem. Um, and he says, you want me to bring the Ark with us? And David said, no, leave the Ark in, in the house of God. We must go. Right? And he says, and if God sees fit, if God shows his favor, we'll come back and worship here. Right? But it's intriguing that, that David didn't wait until he got back to Jerusalem to worship God. And he didn't think it had, he had to be in proximity to a place or proximity to a person or even proximity to a certain feeling or euphoria for his heart to worship God. And even, even though that's the case, our hearts are often prone to do that, right? We, we think that when we're comfortable, we'll praise the Lord, right? And we know that it's whenever we're comfortable, we forget, right? And David knows, he's, he's before his time, he knows that he does not have to be close to the ark. He doesn't have to be close to the sanctuary to actually behold the glory of God, right? So it doesn't matter if you're at work, this week. It doesn't matter if you're at home. It doesn't matter if there's a fussy baby. It doesn't matter if the, there's a four more projects than you had before you're left for Thanksgiving break. Right? You are always in proximity to God. Right? We can behold the glory of God and see God right where we're at. Right? Sitting in your seat now, right? We're surrounded by fellow believers. It feels a little bit more apparent, doesn't it? Or it should. Right? When you get to sing with other, other believers, Right? When you get to sing some of those words and hear a beautiful song. Right? Whenever even someone else prays over you, it's a good feeling. Right? But it does, it's not in proximity just to this place. It's whenever we're going through our week. It's when we're down and out. It's whenever life really hurts and is hard. Right? We can behold the glory of God wherever we are. Um, so David says, I've looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about this. I don't want to get too sidetracked from the song because it's, it's so beautiful. It deserves our full attention this morning. Um, but, but I wanted to answer a little bit, how can we behold God? Right? How can we behold God? And it's a, a theme that's been emphasized by Andrew already throughout this series. Um, but the passage in John, whenever Jesus says he's seeking worshipers, those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Right? That is how we behold God. It must be born of the Spirit, right? If any of us is absent of the Spirit of God in our lives right now, you cannot worship God, right? Because the Spirit's the only one who can lead us through the door of Jesus, who's the way and the truth and the life, right? So it must be a Spirit-empowered endeavor, but it also must be based on truth. And sometimes I think we fall into this ditch of like, well, I don't have a very good imagination right now, therefore I cannot worship God, right? It's not based off of how big you can imagine God. And just a simple reminder, none of us has a biggest, the biggest, a most accurate, big enough picture of God this morning. I don't know if you've thought of that lately, right? But whenever you close your eyes, don't, you may fall asleep. But when you close your eyes and you think of God, it's not big enough. Right? You don't imagine enough power. You don't see enough glory. Right? Whatever yellow feeling of heaven you have, right? It's not 
anything compared with the actual, true, golden glory of God. Yet still, he invites us in. He says, come behold the wondrous mystery. He says, come in. And there's a verse in in Corinthians that that really helps us with this. It says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Right? Where the Spirit exists in the heart of a a believer, in, in the heart of a child of God, it says there's freedom. And it says, so we all, with open face, behold the glory of God. And as we behold the glory of God, we're transformed. So so beholding is whenever the people of God, by the Spirit of God, see the glory of God, and they're changed into the image of God. I'll say that again. It's when we, the people of God, by the Spirit of God, behold the glory of God, and we're changed into His image. Right? It's It's a wonderful thing, right? And it should be a daily thing, right? This isn't something we put on hold for Sundays. This isn't something we put on hold for small group. Right? This isn't something we can let someone else do for us. Right? We can't rely on, on a parent's righteousness or beholding. We can't rely on a pastor's beholding. We can't rely on whatever you may. Right? We have to, but also more exciting, we can behold the glory of God, and we do it in spirit and in truth. I mentioned our imagination. Right? Your imagination isn't big enough. Right? But just because you have a stinky imagination doesn't mean that God isn't glorious. <laughs> or it doesn't mean that you can't behold him. Another thing we do is not only our imagination, but we also do it with our emotions often, right? I don't feel like it. And I don't feel like worshiping. I don't feel like beholding. Or I don't feel like God is good. I don't feel like God is loving. And all those things are, I think what we've been trying to say the last few months, those things are true, right? Um, you really, you can't fight feelings. And what I mean by that is, if that's the way you feel, that is the way you feel. We just can't end up there, right? We can't just land there. We can't just leave ourselves there. And so we, we take truth, and truth comes in and informs us. It says, yeah, you can't imagine a God like this, right? And you're not feeling that God is loving, but guess what? This is true. God is love, right? This is true. God is good. This is true. Fill in the blank. And thankfully, there's so much truth for us to feast on. There's so much truth that we can see, but, but that is how we behold. And so David says, I've, I've beheld your power and your glory. Right? I don't know why those two things rose to the top of David's mind. Um, they're very good things and they're very appropriate. Right? And it's probably helpful for us to know that too. If we think about God, right? if you have your, your time with the Lord and you went away thinking about yourself, right? or you thought you went away thinking maybe only about God's justice or only about certain your hobby horse of, of who God is, right? David just informs us, he says, I've beheld God. I looked at God in the sanctuary, but even now in the desert, and I see power and I see glory. Right? Because God is strong, right? and God is good. And it's so neat whenever we get to see that goodness, when we can taste the expression of, of his character, when we can when see his strength in our lives, right? It's so neat to behold, and it's so, it's so essential for every believer. Um, it's like visiting a monument or it's like visiting um, some beautiful piece of creation like a, a canyon or a, or a river or wherever people go on vacation, right? People go there, they make plans and preparations, you get ready, and then the whole day you're like, okay, we have one goal for today, right? It's not to play Yahtzee. We'll save that for another night. Right? There's something big, there's really important today, right? We need to go see this, Right? 
that should be how it is with our hearts and God, right? There's a preparation that goes into it, and then there's a stillness. There's a stillness where we wait. And I've started saying to myself often, Spirit, if you don't move, I refuse to go, right? If he doesn't, re- if you don't reveal yourself, sit and wait. Resonate in the silence. Wait upon the Lord. Put your hope in God. And it's so amazing to see his glory revealed to us. And it's just like that monument that we maybe went to go visit afterwards, we go away and we're just glowing. And we're so excited because we saw something that we knew was so worthy. It was so beyond us. It was so good. And we recount it to our friends. And sometimes we even talk about the preparation. We're like, yeah, we waited in line for 18 hours just to get to that line at Disney World. Like It was amazing. Or we waited so long. You know, we hiked for five miles. And I don't care what's beautiful in this life, but it's five miles away. I'm probably not going to make the hike. The pictures are probably just as good. Right? But not so with God. Right? We can't shortcut it. We can't. We can't go around it, right? We can't hear somebody else's news of God. Like, we have to see Him and behold Him. And so, some of that preparation and some of that resting and some of that just ruminating and meditating is the beholding. And, and we're so, th- so thankful that God reveals Himself to us. So what did David conclude? All right, look with me in verse 3. David says, Because... Your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. Perhaps as I read that again, maybe you just want to say that in your heart. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. I can't remember a time. I've, I've been preaching for, for a good bit, um, probably the last five or eight years, just a while, I guess. I've never been more intimidated. Not because of the crowd. You guys look nice, friendly, right? Um, I enjoy talking, as you can tell, right? Mama told me so ever since I was a kid. Never shut up. I wasn't intimidated because of getting up this morning. I was I was daunted with the fact that I may not be able to explain verse 3 to you very well. Because God's love is so good. None of the words I could use this morning could depict it. So I I put up my hands and I said, Fooey, right? I need you to taste and see that God is good. I need you to read this verse and think of the ways that God's love is better than life. And I don't know, I can't use enough examples to answer this question, but what about God's love is better than life? Right? I could ramble forever. And not be able to tell you the amount of things that do not measure up to the love of God. Right? Look at this equation that, that David has concluded as he's beheld God's glory and power. As he's in the desert, don't forget he's in the desert, right? He says God's love is better than life. So I will praise you. Right? And I'm not good at math. But I know that the alligator eats the biggest thing. Right? And that's what's happening in the slide that my wife thankfully looked over for to make sure that I had my math correct. Right? Whenever you put all the different equations, right, when they're first teaching you greater than, lesser than, 
right? It's kind of fun, and then they just totally just upgrade it, and you're like, okay, I don't like math anymore, <laughs> right? But when I, re- when I remember loving math, it was whenever it was just like, okay, five, eight, alligator. You know, alligator eats the eight, right? Easy. And it's amazing that David says, here's the equation I found out. This is it. If you want to know my thoughts on the matter, my conclusion, God's love is better than everything. And, and look at that word life and insert whatever you want underneath it. Right? If we did the equation over again, you can see the math sheet now. Endeavors, whatever you're endeavoring to do right now, God's love is better. Whatever relationship that you enjoy, God's love is better. The sum of the amount of love that you've experienced in your life from other people, family, friends, children who love you, right? Do you know what's better than that? The love of God. Do you know what's better than any season, any trial, any struggle? God's love. And I kept coming back to the thought of worth, right? All of us want to do something that's worth it. My wife rags on me all the time because I don't finish a Netflix series, right? Because it wasn't worth my time, sweetie, right? If I get into it and I'm like, no, it's not, I'm not feeling it, I don't enjoy it, right? I just, I put it down because it's like, I don't want to waste my time with that. And then she gets hurt and it's a thing, but it's all right. I love you. Um, But we all want to give ourselves to something worthy, right? We, We have subscriptions, And have you ever looked at your bank account and you're like, are they still, they're still getting me for that, right? I subscribed to that like three years ago. I'm not getting what I paid for, right? We want things that are worth it. And you may go on there and you're like, okay, not anymore. We all want to be part of a group, right? That's worthy, right? No one wants to be in a group going nowhere, twiddling the thumbs, talking about nothing, shooting the breeze. Like, no, we all want to give ourselves to something with purpose, with worth. We also want to give ourselves the things that are worthy, right? No one wants to get on a boat that cannot hold them. <laughs> no one wants to tug on a rope that cannot bear their weight. No one wants to rely on a promise that will fail or a person who will eventually mess up. But do you know what won't fail? Do you know what is tried and true the love of God. And it's not just dirty, folks. It's sweet. It's so strong, and yet it's so gentle. Now, you can find it every single time of your life and every single season good. And, and David calls it the steadfast love. And maybe you're like me and you've heard that phrase over and over and over again, right? Undeserved kindness. Relentless favor. I like to think of loyal love, right? He is loyal to you no matter what you've done, no matter what you will do, right? The love won't fail. The love won't back out. And it is amazing. And so David's concluded that whatever else you put up there, I don't care what goes in that that blank, God's love is greater. And so David concludes too. He says, So my lips will praise you. In verse 4, he says, So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. It's so neat that, that he takes life and he puts it underneath 
love. He says, so since I found that love is ultimate and love is beautiful and love does not fail and is better than everything else, I'm going to take everything else and I'm going to put it under that category. Right? It doesn't just stay over there, rogue, and you can tap into it whenever you want to or revisit it. Right? And I mentioned a lot of even good things. I'm not saying that your best relationship compared to God's love is like you're not supposed to value that. No. But we take all those things and we, we put them under the love of God. He says, so with my whole life, now that I've concluded that my life does not compare to God's love, like I'm going to give my whole life to it. So I will, I will bless the Lord all of my days, all of my words, all of my thoughts, all of my endeavors, all my relationships, all my trials, all my seasons. I'm going to put those under God because he's worthy, because he's good. He says, I will lift up my name. I'll lift up my hands in his name. The other thing I thought of, like I told you, I was intimidated at trying to explain how God's love is better than life. The the words that we we sang today were, were special, right? It says, I'm loved by you. It's who I am. Now, that's intriguing that God's love defines us, but it's very true. God's love defines who we are. The other song said, my, my value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. Right? Whenever God loved me enough to send his precious son, Jesus, and Jesus bled for me. My value was fixed and my ransom was paid. God told me how much I was worth. And even though I was unworthy, he loved me. He gave himself for me. And so David's just saying here, so so what should I do in return? I give myself back to the worthy thing. I understand that it's better than life, so here I am, Lord. Take me. Just take all of it. It's yours. And it's so neat that we can do the same thing. And even Romans 12, very common, popular passage. But Paul just says, so what is our true and proper worship? What are we supposed to do? What's the conclusion? He says, just give yourself to God. In view of his mercy, in view of his love, because it's better, give yourself to him each and every day. So he concludes that, that God's love is better. And so I will bless you as long as I live in your names. I will lift up my hands. I'm going to keep going. It says in verse 5, it says, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. Now don't get lost in, in this long sentence right it, i i i think it's intri- intriguing to notice he says my soul will be satisfied right we might even stop there We're like how can i guarantee that you know what i mean We're like yeah i know god's good but like can i guarantee i'll be satisfied and i even wanted to flesh out in my own life it's like wait is can i really have a feast like this every, every season all the time like is that really possible is that is that a bad expectation of the christian life is that a un un um, underestimated thing about God, like is it like, yeah, He's good, but don't expect Him to be this good in every season. And he says, my soul will be satisfied as with rich and fat food. Like he's like, my soul satisfied, like it's Thanksgiving. I don't know what y'all like: sweet potato casserole, ham, all the goodies, right? Pecan pie. I don't care what it is. Whatever you love, whatever just you show up for, 
right? And the other people brought their side dishes, but you're like, I had to bring my own because these chumps don't know how to make it. And that's how our family was. Like we're showing up with our own side dishes because we know what we like, right, for Thanksgiving. And you have your dish and you have your favorite, right? Whatever that sweet thing is or whatever that good thing is that you love for Thanksgiving, David says, my soul is satisfied in God like rich food. And let's keep reading. When does he say that he has that? He says, my mouth will praise you when I remember you upon my bed. Right? A little bit underwhelming. He doesn't say, my soul will be satisfied at the height of the mountain when I'm on the vista. He doesn't say, when I'm back in Jerusalem. He doesn't say, when I'm on my throne, then I'll be satisfied with rich and fat food. He says, right now, He might have even had a lamp scribbling these words on my bed when I lay my head down at the thought of God. I'm satisfied. And that's that's true and, and, and available for all of us. And he says, and meditate on you in the watches of the night. He's being pursued. He's being hunted. David's a man of war. I doubt, I could be wrong, I doubt he let a lot of the night watch go to go to some hirelings inexperienced soldiers. David's on the run, and whenever he's looking out at night to make sure that Absalom and the armies aren't pursuing him and they're in danger, he says that at the night watch, my soul is satisfied. It's so so amazing. He says, at every moment, I have something to feast on. And maybe you guys have that. Maybe you like to think about something. Maybe it's a book that, that intrigues you. Maybe it's a line of thought or philosophy, or maybe it's just something that just engages your mind. You can just all, the, all the, the lines are burning. It's just exciting to you. And that's what David says whenever he thinks about God. He says, I'm satisfied. At the thought of God on his bed, or on the watches of the night. Verse 7, he says, For you have been my help. In the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. I wanted to go ahead and give you um, my, my takeaway um, from today's um, passage, and, and I'd love to carry this thought into the week. Uh, maybe jot it down. Maybe you have a good memory. Maybe don't. It's fine. But, but what I believe to be the, the sum of this passage and for us this week is at the thought of God, His previous help, current closeness, and future deliverance, my soul can be satisfied and sing, Your love is better. At the thought of God, His previous help, his current closeness and his future deliverance says, my soul can be satisfied and sing. Your love is better. Because we have such a privilege as, as God's people that we can ponder, behold, look, think of God. And I even put a little semicolon there, right? Because it's not his previous help, current closeness and future deliverance because those are even... Um, we're saying that those are almost prerequisites. Like he, God has to do this for me to praise him. No, God on his own, his power and his glory, we can be satisfied and we can sing. And it's neat that David says, in addition to that, God, semicolon, he says, his previous help, current closeness, and future deliverance. Look in verse 7. David says, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. He's recalling the times in his life that God has come to deliver him. Like we did last week, many of you came up and stood up here and shared 
I was going through this. Life was tough. I was in the desert, like David, and God rescued me. And he helped me. He helped me to talk to somebody. He helped me to, to display humility in this moment. He helped me. Whatever good is in your life, God has helped you to it, I promise. Whatever grace you've been showing to others or whatever you've, you've gone through is God that has helped you. And so David looks back at that and even looks now and he says the current closeness, we mentioned that already with the proximity to Jerusalem, right? He says, right now I'm going to behold God. But he also says something that's, that's closer to him. He says, in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. And I don't honestly know why David uses an illustration of a bird to talk about the closeness of God. Maybe he's out there in the wilderness and he sees a bird flying over. Right? Maybe he's thinking of a, a, a hen that's, that's close by. Like even Jesus said, I'd, I'd love to gather you into my wings, but you would not. Maybe he's thinking the wings of the, the cherubim and the, and the sanctuary and how close that was. Whatever it is, how close is God this moment? And how close is God throughout this week? It says, in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. You have to be close to something right, for it to cast its shadow on you. That's how close God is to his servant and how close the servant is to his God. And he even says that. He says, my soul clings to you. I pursue you. And he says, but really, it's you that's holding on to me. And there's a song. um, It says, I I, I cling to Christ. It's probably not the one you're thinking, actually. I should have prefaced that, but that's okay. Um, But it says, there's more than I can do to keep my hold on you. But all my hope and peace is that you cling to me. He says, I, I cling to Christ, right? But it's more than I can do to keep my hold on you. I can't keep close to the, the shadow, right? I keep, I keep moving. I keep getting distracted. I keep trying to fill my belly with other things. It's more than I can do. Even though I earnestly seek you, even though I am hungry, even though I do want to behold you, God, I cling on to you, but I, I don't know how. And David says, but you hold on to me. And isn't that our, our confidence this morning? God holds on to us, that he's the one who's close, that he's the one that brings us near. And then he also talks about his future deliverance, and, and I'll wrap up. Takes an interesting turn, doesn't it? Right? He says, But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. And I just wanted to acknowledge this and even explain it a little bit, right? Because you guys, like myself, I don't know if you're ever reading a psalm in the morning and like you read the really nice part that made you feel good, you know, the Hallmark card part. And then David just turns a corner real quick and he's like, yeah, and the enemies, they're going to be eaten by the jackals. Like, good. And he just kind of like glance over it. Like, it's terrifying. You know, like, okay, it's in there, but it's probably not the main point. And we even did this a couple weeks ago in, in community group. We were reading Psalm 139. Beautiful psalm. It's been referenced all throughout um, this season. But even halfway through that psalm, towards the end, he says, Oh, and my enemies? God hates them. <laughs> okay. Is that really part of the good news? But I thought this was a good time to talk about it a little bit more. Think about David's situation. Right? He's in the desert. He's being pursued. His victory means his enemy's defeat. Let's not forget that. And it may be the same for you who are persecuted for Jesus' sake this morning. God will not ultimately win. God will not ultimately bring his new heaven and new earth 
The kingdom will not come until those who are against God will be crushed. That is a necessity. Right? And it's the same for David. David's saying, I'm going to feast on God, but my enemies are going to be the feast for jackals. Right? That has to happen. And he's like, I'm not just going to go back to Jerusalem and we're just chummy chummy and there's two different thrones and my enemies are over there and I'm over here and we just split it down the middle. He says, no way. But how can David say, it says in verse 11, it says, but the king shall rejoice in God. How can David say that? Right? Is he just like speaking it into existence? Is he just like, if I just believe this enough, I will get back to my throne? No. Right? David's relying. Right? The only reason David isn't crazy for being in the desert and thinking that he's still going to be king is because God told him he was going to be king. And even God told him, I'm going to have a king on your throne forever. Right? And maybe some of you are visiting today, or maybe some of you, I'm introducing this beautiful story to you, right? But there is a line of kings. God has drawn out his people, and he has placed a king on the throne. He placed David on the throne, and he promised it to him. But he also said, and, and forever, there's going to be a descendant on your throne. Forever. And so David hears that promise, right? He doesn't say, oh, yeah. I was just being very figurative, right? He was just being very loose, like, yeah, for as long as I live, I'll be on the throne, right? That's not the, that's not the interpretation David took. David's like, okay, the king's going to be on the throne forever. And it's an interesting promise that God makes, and you see kings fall and kings rise and kings fall. Some are good, some are bad, some are ugly. And there's not ever a king that stays on the throne for very long. But the story that I'm introducing to you on is, is the story of Jesus. Right? David's descendant comes down and is born of a woman, of a virgin. And they named him Jesus right? because he is God with us. He is the king. And once Jesus gives his life, he gives a beautiful life as a, as a, a fragrance offering to God. He loves God perfectly. He loves others perfectly. And he lays down his life for us. And he ascends to heaven, right? Where does he sit? Folks, where does he sit? He's on the throne right now. That's why David wasn't stupid for being in the desert and saying the king's going to rejoice. And that's why we're not stupid this week. When we say Jesus reigns, it's true, it's promised, it's right now. It's a, it is the true reality. Right? We're the ones who are living in, in the false one. The true reality is that Jesus is king. It says, the king shall rejoice in God. But look at this. He says, for all who swear by him shall exalt. So David and his friends, he says, some people weren't loyal to me, but those who are loyal to me, those who pled allegiance to me, they're also going to be exalted, right? And it's the same with us, folks. This is so exciting, right? The king is exalted, King Jesus, and those who are loyal to Jesus will be exalted with him. His glory is our glory. And I don't want to assume that you're loyal and and pledge allegiance to King Jesus. But I want to invite you to that. Because David says that the fate of those who did not seek God, those who did not behold His power and glory, those who did not find Him satisfying, instead those who sought to destroy the King's life and deny those promises, says their fate is actually, um, they're going to dive straight into the grave. And I say that also to those in this room who haven't pledged allegiance to King Jesus. You haven't experienced the, the forgiveness of sins that's only by Him. But for us who have, right, we're going to be exalted. 
And that's the promise. And this week, at the thought of God, when we think of God, His past, previous help, His current closeness, and even His future deliverance, when we recall God to our minds, our souls can be satisfied. And we can sing, your love is better. It's better than everything else. Thank you, guys. I'm going to go ahead and pray because these are some heavy things. Um, I need the strength for this week, and I'm going to ask God just to bring these, these words into our hearts, and then we'll sing another song. God, thank you for these words. More, thank you for your power and glory. God, thank you that your love is better. I pray that every heart in this room will conclude that your love is better today and that they would be satisfied and be able to sing. God, because you are good and because, Jesus, you reign as king. Thank you, King Jesus, for saving our souls. Thank you that all who swear by you will also exalt. We're so thankful. We pray these things in Jesus' name.